here's where we're at today. Um, Jesus is confronted. This is not a parable. This is a, this is a story. This is where he has come to um, teach his disciples, and they are with him, and he's being confronted. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to dive into what it sort of means for us in our gratitude season. So it says this in verse 15 of Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, which is sarcastic, by the way. We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a Daenerys, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and go to God, and, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Interactions with Jesus change people's lives. People come into contact with Jesus, and then they walk away, and they're amazed. Some people want to kill him when they walk away from him, but other people are amazed. And it always strikes me as interesting how we can go to church we can read the Bible, we can pray, we can have an interaction with God, and we don't walk away amazed. We don't walk away transformed in that encounter. And then so I always say, well, then maybe we haven't met with God. Maybe we haven't heard with God because interactions with Jesus, interactions with God transform people. They transform you and they transform me. And so if we're going to church or we're praying or we're reading our Bible, we're doing something and we're just not feeling it, we're, our heart's not in it, this is boring or I don't get a lot out of it, you haven't met with God. Because God transforms your life. People walk away amazed. And so if you're in prayer, if you're speaking truth, if you're dwelling with God in the place where he is, you are going to live every day amazed and transformed and believe that God is who he says he is. But we're not quite there yet, are we? We're not quite there because we've got to talk about what Jesus is talking about here. Now, us here in the United States, we're pretty familiar with disagreements around the question of paying taxes. Like, our whole nation was built on the fact that we didn't want to pay taxes to the king. We'd rather pay taxes to our own government. And so we revolted. And a whole war broke out because we didn't want to pay taxes to the old guy across the sea. Like, we know about taxes. It was one of the issues that pushed the colonies to call for independence over Great Britain. And whether you remember the Stamp Act or the Boston Tea Party, you might remember the phrase, taxation without representation 
is tyranny. Man, we don't have great phrases like that anymore, you know? That's what I miss about those good old guys. But that could be heard from Boston to Baltimore to Charleston, all along the coast and those colonies. Now, apparently, the same dispute could be heard among the Jewish people in the first century. And for many of the same reasons. Do I pay taxes to an oppressive empire, or do I pledge my support to God? Now, Palestine was a colony of the Roman Empire, and Jews were paying taxes that supported the army and the government that occupied their territory and oppressed them and made them work. Now, tax collectors were reviled in Jewish culture. Matthew, who wrote the, the, the gospel that we're reading today, was a tax collector. And Jesus dined with him, and he was thrown out of the temple because of it. People wanted to kill him because he was dining with a tax collector. Because they were Jewish, and yet they didn't represent the interests of the Jewish people. Now, some scholars believe that tax rates in first century Palestine were about 90%. Think about that. You bring home only about 10% of what you make. And then on top of that, you are asked to support a family. On top of that, you are asked to tithe at the temple. On top of that, on top of that, there were always demands for what you do with your money. But the Roman government, they're going to take 90% off. And so tax collectors would have to come and collect again and again and again. And if they didn't have enough the first time, if they were getting pressure from the Romans, just the middlemen, you know, they would say, I need more, I need more, I need more. Because everyone needed their cut of your money. And so the Jewish people had, understandably, grievances about the question of taxation. Now, each week we've looked at these complaints. We've looked at these places where people are complaining to the people around them. There are people in authority. But each week I've told you that their complaints are kind of well met. They're actually pretty good complaints. The Jews in the desert, they complained that they didn't have water, which is a pretty good complaint. And last week when everyone received the same amount of money for not the same amount of work, that's a legitimate complaint. We want to talk about those things. We want to say, hey, look, this doesn't seem fair to me. What can we do about it? And so this week, there is an actual complaint. And we're not, we're not saying it's not right to complain. Because this is a legitimate complaint. The oppressive government is taxing us almost to an inch with, of our lives. Is this right? What should we do about it? Where does my loyalty lie? Now, not surprisingly, there were people in both colonized groups, both here in America and in Palestine, who took opposite sides of that question. America had its loyalists who supported the British government and the patriots who opposed it. And Palestine had Herodians who supported the Roman government and Pharisees who opposed it. Now, as their name suggests, the Herodians were allied with Herod Antipas, who was named king of the Jews by Rome. And so they all supported this tax to Caesar. Like, I want to keep my job, so we need more taxes, and I need a big house to live in. But the Pharisees, who were committed to every detail of Jewish law, opposed 
paying the tax to Caesar for religious reasons. That they did not want to bother with the things of empire. They did not want to feed into that oppression and that war and that violence of that. Their occupation was based less on the fact of occupation and more on the special coin that had to be used to pay this particular tax, a coin that they show Jesus when he asks. Jews were required to use a special coin that carried the image of the divine Caesar. You know what Caesar's name was? You know what he was called? Son of God. By Jesus calling himself Son of God, by coming into the world, Jesus was making a political statement. And Jesus had them right where he wanted them. They thought they were going to go and trap him, and he says, no, no, no. No, this is what I've wanted to talk about for a really long time. Because you see this guy's picture? He says he's Son of God, but that's just not true, is it? Because you know the real Son of God. You know what this is all about. The divine Caesar. And so the Pharisees saw this use of coin as a violation of the first and second commandments. Don't have another God before you. This was their religious argument. That if I have this coin and I'm using it, someone else is my God and not the real God. So given their divided loyalties, it's unlikely that anything could have caused the Pharisees and the Herodians to cooperate, except, except their desire to see Jesus removed. Ooh, the enemy of your enemy is my enemy. Let's work together, and you and I together can get rid of this enemy. Let's not work for good, but... Let's work to preserve our own interests. Let's work to build up the empire a little bit more. You have your little empire with your religions. We have our own little empire here with our nation. And we can work in harmony by getting rid of Jesus who says he's another son of God. That he says he's another Caesar. That he says he is the actual Messiah come to redeem us. That is a win-win scenario. Both parties get what they want. So they pose the question to Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now the Pharisees had hoped that Jesus would support paying taxes to the Caesar so that the Jewish people would see him as a Roman sympathizer. That's what they're hoping to get out of this. If he says, yes, it is lawful, then boom, we got you. We got you good. This guy is a Roman sympathizer. We can take him out and throw him in the garbage pit because he's not for us. Now, if the Herodians hoped that Jesus would oppose paying taxes so they could accuse him of treason against Rome. So they think they've come up with the perfect plan. If we ask Jesus this, he's going to have to say yes or no. And one of us will win in this. One of us will get what we want, but the same is no matter what happens. But they got greedy, didn't they? They thought they knew better than Jesus. They thought that they could trap him, which just cannot happen. Because Jesus is so smart. He's so far ahead of the game. And what he planned on saying 
It was not yes or no, but to turn it around on them and say, listen, let's figure out this together. Let's figure out this from the vantage point of who God is. Let's figure this out in a way that honors God. In fact, what he's essentially saying is to pay Caesar actually is to honor God. How can that be? How can we do both things? How can we do them at the same time and do them well together? In our world, it seems that we are captivated by new and better things. We are captivated, captivated by the new thing in the world. The wealth of the world draws us in, and we want more and more of those things. The problem with wealth, the problem with possessions, the problem with not giving to Caesar what he gives and giving to God what is his to give back. We end up getting into this position where we are not quite sure what to do with what we have. You know, we're complainers because everyone was equal to us. Everyone worked different hours, but everyone got the same pay. And we're complainers that, hey, you know what? It's not about me wanting more. It's about everyone being equal. But now we look at this week and we say, you know what? Mm, I kind of want more. I kind of want more. I want you to be able to give me the coin that belongs to me. But I also want you to give my allegiance to God. I want more of those things. And the pursuit of wealth can shift our focus. The pursuit of those wealth things, the stuff. Jesus used the word mammon. Mammon is roughly translated as money, but it's not quite money. It's actually things, wealth, possessions, hoarding. It's this greed that often causes us to lose sight of our gratitude that we already have. It's often this greed, this hoarding, this, this desire for more. We don't even know where it comes from, but we get so locked in to American consumerism. I mean, Amazon can have it at my house the next morning. How can I say no to that? I mean, I, I need it. So how can I say no? The accumulation of wealth, of goods, the pursuit of those things, it shifts our focus away from the things that truly matter in life. But this trap of accumulation, this trap of I just need something new or better than what I have before, you know, it works in the opposite way. You know, it works in the way that we don't want it to work. We think that if we get more and more and more, we'd be happy. Oh, if I just had this, I would be happy. I, if I just have this one more thing, I won't ever ask for anything else ever again. My daughter does this all the time. She's three. She knows about wealth accumulation. Daddy, buy this thing. Daddy, buy this thing. Daddy, buy this thing. Please, 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 please. I won't ask for anything ever again. That is not true. 
And so we see this as an inborn into our culture, into our society. We already see this in everything that we do. And Christmas comes along and we thought we, well, it is about family, right? But yet we still buy and buy and buy. And giving gifts is important. I like giving gifts. I think that's a really good thing to do. But what's enough? What's enough? Jesus always promises plenty to us, but not too much. But we get trapped in this cycle of accumulation. We want more and more believing that it will bring happiness. But it leaves us perpetually dissatisfied. It leaves us in this state of, mm, I just, if I could just scratch that itch. If I could just want, find that one thing that fills that emptiness. And I'll be set. I'll be good. But it leaves us ungrateful for what we already have. There was stories that came out of Hurricane Katrina. A man from the Wall Street Journal went down and interviewed a bunch of people years and years after Katrina who were still trying to put their lives back together, still trying to piece it together. And he said, what's one thing that was unexpected about this hurricane? And the woman looked at him and she said, how much I dislike stuff now. She said, everything was taken from us. Our whole lives were built and everything was taken from us. And she said, at first I cried all the time because I had none of my stuff, furniture and clothes and art and electronics. I had all this stuff. And she said, but in the days and weeks and months after that, those things began to fade. She said, I no longer desired new and wonderful things. She said, I was just so grateful for what I had. It took that moment in her life to realize that she was in this cycle, that bigger and better was not equaling happy, that it was just equaling more and more pain, more and more suffering. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You will be split down the middle in trying to serve one over the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and Caesar. You cannot have both of these coins in your pocket. Greed divides the heart. It makes it difficult for us to be fully present and engaged in our lives. It makes it difficult and almost impossible for us to be grateful for what we already have. Because just like entitlement, we're looking for the next thing. And I'm going to tell you what, the one person, the one place that's so guilty of this already is the modern church. Because what do we do? Bigger and better. Let's get better carpet. Let's get better chairs. Let's get a better this and that. Let's have brighter lights. Let's have a bigger band. Let's have lots and lots of choices for us to get to. And we're consumed by that greed even in our churches. We're consumed by that need of 
you know what? Jesus doesn't satisfy me anymore. So I need to package some things around it. I need to better engage because I'm just, I'm just in this place where when I walk away from God, he, he's just, he just doesn't amaze me anymore. I'm not left in a moment of transformation with God, so I need something better. I need some bright lights. I need some loud music to get me in the mood to praise God. And our churches have done this. They've, they've educated us in this way to say, you know what? That's how we win more people. That's how we get more people. Bigger and better. Nice, big, beautiful buildings. Loud music. Those things aren't wrong. But what is our pursuit? Are we chasing after those things as a church? Are we chasing after those things that only leave us in this cycle of dissatisfied? Or are we chasing after the one true God? What's on our hearts? I really can't worship God unless I, don't, unless I have a loud band. Unless I have a preacher that yells at me. I can't do those things right. I'm sorry. But look at the image on your coin. Whose face is that? Is it the image of Caesar? Is it the image of empire? Is it the image of corruption and oppression and the cycle of greed and want and growth? Because that's a coin and it's a face, it's an image that symbolizes worldly wealth and the power that it holds over us. The word image in Greek is icon. We know that word. We're pretty familiar with that word. So when we look at that coin, what icon do we see? That one of greed and power, the one that robs us and erodes our gratefulness. The one that says you need more, you need more, you need to participate in society. Your neighbors have all of these good things. Look at their car. Look at their house. It's immaculate. I want that. Maybe then I'll be comfortable. Maybe then I'll be happy with my life. If I could just get my house to look like theirs. If I just had maybe a raise at work so I could have just a little bit different lifestyle. If my job was just a little bit more generous to me, then maybe I could be a little bit more generous to God. Huh. Wow. That's an interesting place to take it, isn't it? That we think the world needs to be more generous to us before a God who has been so generous already, before we can be generous back to him. And we wonder why we don't walk away from Jesus at every encounter feeling amazed and changed because our hearts are so far from him. Our hearts are in this place of Jesus is good, but I need something more around it. Just something more and I'll finally feel happy. The coin 
contains the image of Caesar. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, actually, that word give there, a lot of times it's render to Caesar what is Caesar's. We hear it that way. That Greek word is give back. (laughs) Which changes the verse itself. The NIV has it right in this translation. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give back to God the things that are God's. Because I want to tell you, in Genesis 1, when God created the world, he created us and he looked at us and he said it is good. And you know why he said it was good? Because we were created in an image of God. And so when we have our lives, when we carry the coin around, what image is bare on the front? What image do we give to the world? Do we say, I am all about Caesar's image? I'm all about the bigness and the greatness and the greed and give me more. And Amazon, why can't you have it here now? Where are those drones we were promised? Or do we bear the image of God in everything that we do? See, Jesus answers the question, but he doesn't answer it in the way that we want him to. We want yes and no. Jesus, just tell us yes or no. What do I have to do? It's that simple. But Jesus doesn't want to tell us yes or no. He wants us to think about these things ourselves. He wants us to use our wisdom and our power and our community and say, what is the best response here? And so Jesus asks us in a roundabout way, what is God's? What bears God's image? The things of my life, the things that I'm collecting, the words that I say, The stuff that I have, whose image is on that? When I do this one thing or I do that other thing or I say this thing or think this thing, whose image is on that? When I'm dissatisfied with what I have, when I want more, when I want better things, when I compare myself to others, whose image is on that? And so we get to choose whose image we want to reflect. Jesus doesn't say yes or no because he leaves it up to us. Who do you want to reflect? What is your choice? Who do you serve? You can't serve both of them. So give back to Caesar. And Caesar thinks he's this great and mighty king, which you can be a great and mighty king. That's fine. That might be your job. That might be your role. That might be your calling in life. Caesar can have these little pieces of metal. If he thinks he's one, if he thinks he's greater than the one true God, that's fine. He can have his little trinkets. But do you know what the antidote to greed is? It's generosity. Generosity is the antidote to greed. And it's our path to gratitude that we cannot fully appreciate what we have. We cannot stop this cycle 
of wanting more and growing more and being new and comparing ourselves to our neighbors until we decide that at the heart of who we are as Christians, we must live generously. We must sell out for generosity. One of our core practices here is to build bigger tables. And that means we are inviting people in to the great story. We're inviting people to our homes to say, listen, this is not about what I have, but it's about what we can share together in the name of Christ. We need to invite more people into that story through generosity, through giving of ourselves. And this is not a story about money, by the way. Jesus uses money as a moment for us to guide ourselves and say, this is really about the heart, isn't it? This is about what the heart wants more than anything. And if you are not a generous person, if you decide that your time is too valuable, your money is too valuable, your love is too valuable, that's not living a life of generosity. That's living a life of greed. I want people to love me first. I want my work to recognize me first. That's pushing Jesus away and saying the image that I choose to bear is the one of Caesar. Giving and sharing of yourself counteracts the selfishness of greed and it cultivates gratitude all on its own. You don't need to do anything else to be grateful. But if you live a generous life, if you live a life that is giving and sharing of all things, you will develop the practice of gratitude. But God is our ultimate model of generosity. He gave his son. What more does he have to give? What more does he have to show his love for this world than sacrificing his own son to send him to the Herodians, to send him to the Pharisees, to send him to that time and place in Rome to say, you can live better than this if you just give away everything that you have. Now, when he was talking to the rich young ruler, he was speaking hyperbole. Jesus doesn't expect us to go into poverty. But he wants us to answer the question, how much is enough? How much do you need? Because the stuff that you're collecting doesn't have my image on it. The stuff that you're longing for, that's not being generous. Well, what, what about this though? What if I, let's say, win the lottery? And that will allow me to just give money to everyone that I know. Well, if that was true, I think Christians all over the world would be winning the lottery all the time. If that's really the way that it worked, if that's what really God saw in our hearts to say, oh yeah, they're so pure. They haven't messed things up before. Let's just give them the lottery. They deserve it. But God says, that's not right. That's not the generosity I'm seeking. You shouldn't have to have more money to start being generous. 
Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When we lose sight of that, when we lose sight, and I know it sounds so routine, it's so, it sounds so pithy coming from Christians all the time. The eternal reward. Don't forget, you've got an eternal reward. Right, that doesn't help me now, though. How are we supposed to eat? How are we supposed to do the things that life requires of us? Good, let's do those things together. But let's never, ever lose sight of this gift that we have been given. Let's never, ever lose sight of the fact that God is so glorious, that God can do all of these things and more. And there's no limit to his generosity. We need to shift our focus away from the image of Caesar, this earthly wealth, and understand what it means to live in eternal treasure, to foster gratitude, to foster a deeper connection with God and who he is. And we just do that by being generous. And it sounds so easy just to say, oh yeah, just be generous. But it really is that simple. It really is just a matter of looking at what you have and saying, how can I do better than this? I already have everything that I need. What in my life doesn't bear the image of God? And we know what the image of God is. It's Jesus. What in your life doesn't have love and compassion and generosity and mercy and glory and grace? Think on those things. Pursue those things with your whole heart.